0: I'll um, start with the introduction so long um, as in the previous session this is the best convention ever for me because I, I happen to be able to chair sessions without having much work to do except to present uh, the, the people who are actually presenting and announce them and, and then I can move off which is uh, I was thinking in the previous session I should call it very good leadership we're clearly delegating really well except that more often than not they volunteered so I'm going to start off by 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 just telling you who the people on the panel are and a little bit about what this session is going to cover. And this session is very much in two parts. So there's a part of it that is about um, CPD, continuing professional development, and where that is going for the next cycle. And all of you would have had emails, and for anyone who isn't a couple of weeks behind on their inbox, um, I assume by now you've seen the email and you've had a bit of a read, and, and you probably already have some questions, and hopefully some of that, becomes clearer through the first half of the session today and the anchor for that session is is, is Mickey, uh, Mickey and um, I'm pretty sure most of you by now know him um, either because you've met him as a as a retirement fund actuary and trustee and someone who knows a lot about retirement fund governance but more likely in, in this sort of context as someone who's been been very good at doing research and then presenting on it so that all of the rest of us can follow on topics specifically like um, professional development and, and um, professional conduct and, and, and the way we can manage our professional risks as well. So um, we're going to start with Mickey, who's going to anchor that first piece on CPD for us. We will also get a, a view in there from the next speaker there, where we're quite fortunate to have Ben Kemp here, who's General Counsel for the Institute and Faculty of Actuaries. So um, we have our international panel here. And we won't hold it against him that he's actually a lawyer um, because um, at least he's been working with actuaries for an extremely long time. And um, as you can see, um, he's quite quite good at managing us by now. He's, he's got an, a very impressive bio, which uh, it's all in the printed version. So the previous session had very good um, bios in the, in the app. This session, I realized, had very good bios of all the presenters in the printed versions that was in your packs, so it's worth looking there. But, um, I mean, his, his prior employers are listed there, which I think very few South Africans would know who they were. Um, it's also been clear that across professions he's been very involved in professional development and in professional conduct and, and discipline generally, so uh, that's clearly quite a a strong CV for someone to to be able to talk on that topic and he's he's also someone who teaches at the University of Edinburgh um, in Law, so clearly um, a real expert we've got here, so it's nice to have Ben Kemp here. He's then going to share the second half of this session, which is going to focus on something that we think is quite a tricky area for a growing number of actuaries, which is a shared area of um, focus for both the institute and faculty, and for us as the South African Actual Association, um, in that cross-border work and South African actuaries and and those who also belong to the IFOA, um, getting involved in work outside the country of their primary um, professional body um, clearly always have questions around exactly how do you behave professionally in that context, exactly where are the, the difficult areas and what you do, do about them. So, so. There, Ben will will share some some useful professional behaviour points with us, and then Andrew will make it very practical. Now, Andrew Gladwin, who's the third panelist there, um, he's a he's a finance actuary with Old Mutual that for years have been focusing on our businesses in Africa. Um, he's currently statutory actuary for a couple of, um, of of our businesses in Africa: Malawi, Swaziland, Ghana. Um, he's done a couple of others historically too, and so clearly he's learned over the years what the unique challenges are of um, of cross-border work, especially into Africa. Um, and um, that's going to be, I think, the, the second half uh, quite a, a practical slant on some of the other issues. So you'll sort of see in the whole session, there's some of it that'll be um, uh, quite uh, cognitive and, and, and theory and there's some of it that's going to be quite applicable and practical and um, uh, we will try and keep the questions for both halves towards the end just so that we can make sure we fit it all in because there is quite a bit of, um, of theoretical and practical content to be covered. So, without wasting any more time, I'm going to ask Mickey to come up and start introducing the, the CPD changes to you.
1: Thank you, Nico. Um, for two years now, some of you have been piloting a, a revised way of doing CPD, and here's what some of you had to say. Now of course there were some critical comments too, um, but and perhaps the more concerning ones were people who made no comments and just sort of faded away and we never heard from them again. But nevertheless, I think there was more than enough um, positive stuff in there to take it forward to the next stage. Um, so in this time, the Professional Matters Board would like to introduce you to this uh, new idea um, or revised idea of, of doing CPD and then invite you to try it out for yourself. Um, although this may be the first time actuaries have done this, uh, it, it does give us some confidence that one of the large accounting bodies, uh, not the chartered accountants, but SEMA. Uh, The management accountants who, you might say, are actually pretty close in their work to to what actuaries have done. They have been using a system like this for uh, about 10 years now with apparently great success. Why change, you might ask? Um, There was a British sociologist by the name of Gardner in the 1970s who came up with this name for CPD. He looked at what professionals were doing. He said, ah, that's continuing professional development. But unfortunately, as I think so often happens, by reifying something, uh, it became a, a, a thing, a goal, rather than the, the journey that it is. Um, and CPD, as practiced uh, by some prof- professions, I think many of us will feel is not... Quite hitting the, the the nail on the head is it does it have a value because uh, I believe and and that the purpose of CPD um, is so that we can remain professionally competent that seems to be a, a sensible idea and uh, as the actuarial society thought yes this this does sound a good idea let's do some let's do some research and um, uh, it turned out there's a huge field out there of people involved in just the, the theoretical and practical sides of professional development. And by, by studying professionals all around the world, they were saying things like, well, professional development mainly happens at work, you know, yes, seminars are important, but you have to think about what you've learned, you have to apply it, it's actually making a difference on the job. Um, that uh, is what professional development is, is all about. So, that, that sort of cycle of thinking about something, you know, what should I be doing? Let's go and do it. And has it worked? That, that's a very sort of simple actuarial control cycle um, of how professional, of one way of, of doing uh, professional development. And um, your employer may already be doing this. You know, you're in professional development or performance appraisal sessions. You probably, many of you are already going through that sort of a cycle, um, which employers clearly think has has some value in their business. And in fact, as part of the research uh, a couple of years ago, we asked you these questions, and you came up with fairly similar answers. You know, that professional development was more than... Just going to to seminars and doing your emails in the back row. I don't know if um, so um, it, and it, it happens at work, and it's not really um, effective until you've, you've you've tried it out. Now, um, somebody who really tried it out was Carrick Nell, and you're about to see. her her views.
2: In our world, we need to rely on other people doing their jobs well. And we need to adapt in all sorts of ways. It's the same in my job. I'm an actuary, and I need to keep my professional promise to deliver a quality service. Morning. Not only do I constantly need to improve on my skills, I also have to adapt to make sure that I stay ahead of the curve. Take the revised CPD scheme for example. It is no longer essential to achieve a certain number of hours. Instead, I go through a cycle of professional development where I decide where it is that I need to improve, actually do it, and then assess myself. This makes me really think about what it is that I need to know and how to achieve it. Let's see how it works. You simply list the various roles that you perform, as well as any new areas where you would like to grow into. Then consider what capabilities should you have for these roles and assess where you have development needs. Then do activities that meet these needs and analyze the progress or outcome. helps me take control of my own development sure it's important to attend seminars but it's about the change in behavior and the actual learning on the job that makes us get where we want to be you see it's all about the outcomes and not necessarily the amount of time we put in we could all be doing too many CPD activities that is just not getting us anywhere A key part of the system is reflection, making sure that I've actually learned something and using that information to focus my efforts and achieve results. Twice a year, an actuary friend and I get together and talk about our development progress. This helps to keep me on track to declare my CPD to the Actuarial Society at the end of the year, but I often learn from him too. The new CPD scheme focuses on qualitative outcomes and I believe it can really enhance the way in which I approach my professional development. Outcomes-based CPD really helps me do my job. Good day everyone, ready to start?
1: All right, thank you Karika. Um, Oops. There we are. Um, this is a exciting developmental time for us. So the, the things that we've done so far are all experimental pro forma. In order to try and help this process along, we've we've developed a what we call a professional development record to try and, and record take one through some of the steps that Karika was talking about. Um, but the idea is you, you, you might already have your own, you might you take this and um, develop something else which works for for you. Um, I've got some slides here, but I think I'm, in the interest of time, this was just an example to take you through, well actually how, how, would, it, how would it work for you? Um, but I, I think we need to just flip through those. You know, this, that's um, populating for, for, a, for a particular person who was doing the um, uh, the, the, the first pilot. Um, some of their entries, but it's on the slides that you can um, uh, download. But w- where we do need to stop is on the question of assessment. This all, question always comes up. But now, how, how are we going to how are we going to check that um, people are doing uh, the, the thing properly. Is it, is it actually working? As part of the the, the professional development cycle that Carrick uh, was talking about, you saw that she actually sits down with a colleague and talks through. And this was a, something we encouraged in the system partly because of the, the res- res- worldwide research. You know, having to explain what you're doing to a colleague um, really seems to um, n- n- make you take it seriously. I mean, the, the, it's compulsory in the Royal Society of, of um, Psychiatrists. As you can imagine, psychiatrists love talking to each other and analyzing each other. Uh, so we're not saying it's compulsory, but highly recommended that uh, you talk this, the, the, you, you, the thing through with, with, with a colleague. It's almost like issuing your own practicing certificate. You know, what do I need to do my job and have I done it? And that that almost might answer the next question. is What is the the practice committee going to do when they want to issue you a practicing certificate and you haven't got your old-fashioned CPD? Um, But there does need to be some sort of spot check. But we're talking about a, a sort of experimental period now of a year or two. And the society itself is wanting to know how it goes. So we will be contacting people that are doing it, and that can double up to say, well, actually, you said you were going to do it. Are you doing it? But we want feedback at this time as well. So for this first couple of years, the the, um, the policing actually fits in very well with your feedback to us about how the how the system is going. So the next steps are... Um, a more formal document will come to you of sort of, this is, this is how the scheme is going to work. A new CPD year is starting on the 1st of December. So this is a great opportunity for you to try the new system. So you're being, you'll be invited on your annual um, membership renewal to choose. Do you want to do the old CPD? Uh, or do you want to try for a two-year period the, the new CPD. Hopefully um, we'll be able to support each other through this period uh, and learn together, you know, uh, sort of a, a metacognition, you know, where the whole, this whole thing is about learning and so similarly the, the system itself needs a control cycle of learning. So I think this is a very exciting time and I, I hope a number of you uh, are prepared to, to, to come along for the ride. Talking of riots, though, is this, is this our Brexit? You know, Are we now saying goodbye to UK recognition uh, because we're going to be doing CPD different uh, to them? And it's very handy that we just uh, happen to have a leading person of the Institute and Faculty of Actuaries here. Um, so instead of me putting words in his mouth, can I ask Ben to... Uh, give us his views on new new CPD.
3: Hey, uh, good afternoon, everybody. It's lovely to be here in Cape Town. Um, uh, so thank you very much for the uh, opportunity. I'm not sure if we've um, um, we've raced ahead to the slides. Could we go to my slides? Could we go back to the the one with the uh, uh, picture of the, the Queen, please? Um, I, I, and I and I and I say that when I first saw Mickey's slide with the picture of the Queen, I, I, I did worry about what he was expecting. I, I felt perhaps I was here under false pretences. Um, let me say something about CPD. I, I agree with um, so much what Mickey has said, and I think we at the IFOA will agree very much with what, uh, what, what Mickey has, has outlined. We support outcomes-focused CPD. We believe in the substantive um, role of CPD. I agree that you know CPD has almost become, the, the term has almost become a little bit, uh, tired in some ways in terms of the terminology. We like to think more in terms of lifelong learning these, these days. Um, I think outcomes focus and the substantive role in developing our own learning, ensuring our own competence, reinforcing the process of reflection and judgment, challenging groupthink, actually helping us as well as being competent in what we're doing, but also helping us to diversify into wider roles, broaden our skills. All of that actually is CPD. It's about substantive lifelong learning. So we, we, we support um, a great deal of what has been said. As to whether we're going to uh, formally recognise the scheme, we're looking at it. We're looking at it. And we're going to come back. We're going to make a, uh, we'll, we'll um, issue a communication um, very very shortly. But we're very supportive of the initiative. Um, we will learn from the work that the society is doing in this area as we develop our own thinking. One of the things that we've been doing is developing an accreditation scheme for employers initially in the UK but we intend to expand it beyond the UK for our uh, members outside the UK Um, and the accreditation scheme for employers actually allows us to engage at entity level at organizational level at an outcomes level in terms of the uh, goals of development and training which may help us to ourselves move away from more compliance based system Um, just final couple of comments on this I, I, I hear in my role all sorts of complaints about CPD. I hear some great positive support for a lot of the work we're doing, particularly around professionalism, but I do hear some complaints. One of those, and there's a theme to this, is very often from perhaps more senior members of the profession, very experienced members, Um, and I see this in other professions. I see this in my own profession too, where they say they're too experienced, they're too expert, they don't need to do this stuff. I don't buy that. I don't buy that at all. None of us is too old or too experienced to continue to learn. And actually, just to be scary for a second, the disciplinary case law supports me in that. There's a a steady theme of uh, experienced professionals who come unstuck where they've lost touch. They've become irrelevant. Lifelong learning um, prevents that. Um, The other objection, though, is that CPD can be too compliance-focused. And I do accept that challenge. I think that's something that we will continue to, to work on getting that balance right, focusing on the substance, and is very supportive of the initiative here that Mickey's announced uh, in terms of the society. Right. Um, without further ado, and conscious of time, I'm going to say a few words, if I may, around uh, professionalism more generally, taking as my theme, professionalism across borders. I'm um, going to say some general remarks. Uh, we're going to if, if you'll if you bear with me, we'll perhaps do some practice of actual professionalism across borders. Let's, let's have a go at that, because professionalism requires practice, requires uh, lifelong learning. Andrew's going to come and talk about the sort of act, uh, African context and a, uh, African experience. And then time permitting, we're going to have a go at a little bit more professionalism across borders at the end, in the form of uh, one of our most recent uh, video case studies. Okay, let me see if I can work this. Okay, firstly, what does it mean to be uh, a professional? Um, There's this concept of professionalism that we talk about so much, um, very difficult to define perhaps, but associated with all of these concepts you see here. Easy to say, easy to give lip service to, but I will argue it's absolutely critical um, that we, uh, that you, all of us as professionals, recognize and reinforce, and that we do so at a time when it's harder than ever actually to be professional. We, we, we live in and work in a challenging environment, um, you can see some of the factors I think might make uh, that environment challenging, no doubt there's others. Um, competition from all over the place, including from non-regulated, non-professionals who are competing in our space. The answer I suggest to you is not to lower our standards, but actually to maintain them and, and compete on quality. Um, regulation, my own sector, there's too much of it, there's too little of it, it's cyclical. We've got, to, we've got to get the balance right, we've got to ensure some level of consistency. Digitalization, it's an opportunity and a risk. Professionals are being replaced by computers, that's happening in the legal sector. How do we, but I don't think actually they are really because computers aren't professionals. How do we continue to add value there? Litigation, also my own sector, um, there's a lot of pressure. Litigation brings with it pressure to close issues down and not not socialize them, not ventilate them. Um, you manage risk by closing them down, but actually globally and collectively we don't, we don't manage risk by closing them down. We manage risk by airing the, those risks and those issues and talking about them. Uh, political short-termism and internationalization. Last point, really critical in the context of this talk. We are a global profession. You are a global profession. You're a small profession. You're a very distinguished one, but you operate globally. And It's important, I think, that we look at um, the way in which we do professionalism in that, in that context. We have um, great um, uh, privilege in and, 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 uh, working with uh, organizations such as the Society here in, uh, in, in South Africa and collaborating together in trying to promote some of these, these values. Okay, um, this is just a little piece from the International Actuarial Association. Some of us have been meeting with them uh, this, this week. A uh, key role for them, actually, in, in promoting... Uh, global consistency in terms of professional values and standards. And if you look at that, the three headings from their document, the principles of professionalism, it's currently being um, reviewed. But the key point here is, it's not just about technical competence. Technical competence is a given. You're all very, very clever. You're all very expert. But it's not enough, because there's lots of expert and clever people out there. What we bring, what you bring, is professional judgment, values. And accountability, a sense of responsibility and a recognition of the almost the deal, if you will, with society. Um, society allows us a degree of status. Um, but the quid pro quo for that is the responsibility we have to our to the public interest, as it's sometimes articulated. Um, again, difficult to define, but clearly it means something about not just being self-serving individually and collectively talked about internationalization. There's enormous challenges there, which I I would suggest that we need to find ways to continue to cut through. I think the International Actuarial Association has an important role. Our associations working together have important roles um, to get past jurisdictional issues, to recognize local, cultural and political issues of which there are We seem to have plenty of political issues in the UK at the moment. This year has been an interesting year. I know you do in South Africa, but let's find through that, whilst recognizing all of those difficult issues, a common core um, in terms of our professional standards that we maintain. And we can look at each of the different areas of our professional frameworks, in terms of qualification, have we got some consistency um, there? We we have a mutual recognition agreement, we're delighted to say, with the society here. Again, a role for the IAA in preserving that that appropriate standard. Professional skills, Mickey's been talking about CPD. Professionalism has to, we think, be a core part of CPD, not just technical skills. How do we we ensure that standards, and this is something we are deeply committed to, are proportionate, targeted, um, consistent? We don't have too many of them, but they're risk based. But let's not be negative about uh, standards and regulation either. It's critical. Without standards and regulation, you won't be professional people. You won't have that status. And ultimately, I, I just mentioned discipline there. We, we must... That, that can be a very negative word. We must, I suggest to you, actually be proud and confident in enforcing our standards. So if we, if we spot issues um, that uh, fall short, uh, incidents which fall short of our standards, we must call them out. And if necessary... Um, uh, follow a disciplinary process, a fair process, um, but deal with them appropriately and deal 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 with them in a in a transparent way. Taking to the taking me to the point about independence, um, we need to be seen. I think not just to be uh, acting in the right way, um, but to be perceived to be uh, so acting, and that can call for. Uh, as to allow a degree of independent um, perspective, the involvement of lay people, perhaps oversight bodies, whatever that may be, to ensure that we maintain our, our collective credibility and that we're seen to be serving the public as well as the uh, profession. Um, I'm going to very quickly flag a standard that we are introducing as an, int- as an illustration of some of the things we've been talking about what we've tried to do here is to produce a framework of principles we call it actual profession standard X1 a framework of principles to guide our members all over the world as to what we expect of them in the to guide them through the uh, uh, the uh, maze of regulation and standards out there and We've got that down to just two or three key principles. You apply an ethical code and ethical standards. You apply a set of standards which is consistent with International Standard of Actual Practice 1, published by the IAA with international buy-in. And you apply local standards. We get the balance between international consistency and local standards. That's going to be published uh, very shortly. I'm happy to take questions separately. Really important, and this is something very close to our hearts, that we collectively do speak up. Um, we speak up where, where we identify risk. We don't bury risk. We identify issues. Let me um, just show you a very brief illustration of perhaps professionalism across borders in a short cartoon. I don't know if you can read that. Um, here's an illustration of uh, a situation which I think translates in all sorts of different parts of the world. Um, if, you can, if you can manage to read it. Um, So you've done some work on a proposed piece of business. Uh, You conclude that the the piece of business is unprofitable. Um, You seek peer review. Don't worry about the particular standard X2, but you've got a a review of that from another actuary who disagrees with you and instead directly advises the CEO that uh, thinks the piece of business would be unprofitable. So the CEO takes that, he welcomes the verbal advice from your your peer reviewer, uh, goes ahead, and asks you to amend your report in line with the peer review in order just for for good governance um, to to maintain the audit trail. I'll let you think about that. Anybody want to comment very quickly on that? Is that all right? Somebody shouted no. I'm going to move on, but look, there's a really simple situation. Commercial pressure immediately raises the the, uh, question of... Um, professionalism, the need for professional courage, if you will. I'm going to come back, do a little bit more professionalism in a while. Firstly, though, to pass to Andrew. Thank you.
4: Okay, um, so I think quite a few people here have worked in Africa Probably quite a few have worked with people who have worked in Africa, so you'll probably be aware of some of the challenges around um, what might be a bit different. What do you think in Africa to to South Africa or UK or anywhere like that? So, um, um, here we go. Okay, so. I'm not going to read through them, but as you'll see on on the screen here, a list of some of the things which those working in Africa might be familiar with as challenges, professional challenges, technical challenges that you've come across. So, I've just come up with three sort of thoughts around how to practically deal with these challenges. And um, the first one, um, this is not an example of good communication, but um, <coughs> just uh, to sort of illustrate the point. Um, so <coughs> we're dealing with uncertainty. We're dealing maybe with less adequate data. Um, maybe with models that we're not, we're not sure about, um, so there might be more risks, there might be more uncertainty, might be more difficult to make a decision, make a recommendation, um, <clears throat> you might as actually be even seen as a bit of a, a handbrake because you're, you're so risk averse that you never approve anything. Um, And I think in Africa, you know, sometimes, you know, the the risk and opportunity are together. If you don't take opportunity, um, then you might get nowhere. So I think the important thing here is actually should be very good at understanding all the factors, understanding the risks. So very clearly communicate what the risk and uncertainty is and what you're doing. You may well want to say, let's try this, let's do this, but understand these are the risks, and these opportunities, and apply the control cycle. So monitor, and obviously if some of those risks arise, then you might want to change that decision. Second point here is maybe Africa isn't that different. So um, uh, there have been a few examples in the UK and USA where uh, maybe certain pollsters also had a bit of incomplete data um, um, arising in certain uh, events, which I think we all know about. Uh, there might also be a few examples where we currencies are not just uh, what happens in South Africa or the rest of Africa uh, as well. So, you know, maybe third world problems are also first world problems. Um, so I think I think the point here is good professionalism is good professionalism anyway. What might be wrong and feels very wrong in UK or South Africa is probably also wrong anywhere in Africa or anywhere in the world. So apply, apply these standards, um, apply the models, I sometimes actually enjoy working predominantly in the rest of Africa because it actually means you have to understand the models and rather than following a sort of a, say a mark consistent approach where your assumptions are set for you, you have to think about things. But still the thinking and the judgment is based on the solid technical principles of our profession. The third point is act locally. So um, how many countries are there in Africa? 55. does someone say, okay. Wikipedia just now said 54, but uh, there's a few, a few disputed ones. But it's it's quite a lot. Uh, um, so yeah, we can, we can we can we can settle on an actual estimate of uh, somewhere in the mid 50s. But um, a lot of countries, and it's a lot of different countries. Um, the slide shows just an extract from from Wikipedia I think the first few countries on the list and you'll see very different GDPs and populations and and all sorts of things. And I think the point here is don't don't think of Africa or the rest of Africa and South Africa is actually very much part of Africa as as all the same. I think just as much as you won't think of England and Russia's the same, England's still in Europe for some purposes. Um, um, Russia's parts of it in Europe as well, but, you know, I think if we think about practicing as an action in England and Russia, we're probably going to think immediately you're going to do very different things, they're going to be very different products, very different societal norms, et cetera, et cetera, and we've got to think the same about that, you know, even countries in Africa which are neighbouring could have very different stages of economic development, very different products, very different societal norms. So the point here is to know things at a local level make sure you know the regulations of the country, make sure you sort of understand the societal norms, the products, um, what, what people want. Um, if there's a local actuarial society, and Ben mentioned that as well, be a part of that actuarial society, um, you know, be part of the group to get to know actual people there, get to know the thinking, potentially influence regulators. Um, but you know, particularly if you're operating in a number of different countries, don't necessarily assume that your experience and and one is as same as the other, because certainly I've operated in a few different countries and they are very different. So those are my three um, tips, basically communicate risk and certainty, um, think globally, act locally. And I think with that, I think we've got plenty of time for the, the questions. <laughs>
3: Okay, uh, thank you, Andrew. Um, right, could okay, just so, pause, pause it for a second? Samantha too.
5: and I set up our own business. You know Samantha. Okay, watch, watch this and see what you think. It seemed like a natural step for us to take. We are both experienced actuaries, and I'm pleased to say business has been good. It did all start getting a bit stressful about two months ago, though. Our firm took on a new contract from a small insurance company. GoTax Insurance. They had a lot of internal projects going on, and I agreed to help out. I thought what they'd asked me to do would be quite easy, to be honest. We were quite busy, so to make it worth my while, I quoted a nice fat fee, although they agreed without hesitation. On the back of winning the contract, Samantha and I agreed to buy the latest software for the firm. That wasn't cheap, I can tell you. But, inevitably, I soon realised there was a problem. GoTax Insurance was in a big hurry. They had an innovative new product they wanted to launch the market ahead of their competitors. And so, and this is important, all the discussions about the project and the key project scope of work documents were done quickly. And I mean very quickly. The system I'm delivering is designed to administer a fairly simple product, a basic product. That's been the central thrust of my work for the last two months now. The client, however, they also wanted the system to cover the administration of a more complex product with all kinds of quirky features. I'm so worried. I feel sick. I'm not even sleeping. This was supposed to be a nice profitable couple of months. But it's been a nightmare. Obviously, I had to speak to Samantha about it.
6: Come on, Mike. This is really starting to worry me now.
5: What do you want me to say? The system was designed with significant simplifications to meet the client's timescale.
6: So what happens now?
5: Well, it doesn't contain enough functionality and parameters to handle more complex stuff like that. To build those robustly would take more time and cost more money than the client's expecting.
6: Even if we reduce our profit margins?
5: Even if we reduce our profit margins. I was so sure that the Scope of Work document would support my understanding of what the system was for, but having me read it, the wording really doesn't help my case at all. Samantha wasn't happy. She still isn't. But talking to her wasn't nearly as painful as the meeting I then had with Gertax's project sponsor.
3: You
6: know, to say that I'm angry is an understatement, Mike. And quite frankly, I'm astonished that there was any misunderstanding on your part. This system was always meant to work with more complex products. And let me be clear here. You are culpable for this problem, so I suggest that you fix it. Because if this system is not in on time, and to our satisfaction, your fledgling company will not get paid. Now, hang on. And on top of that, Mike, I'll personally make sure that everyone knows about your performance. That's not a good thing for a company that depends on its reputation, is it?
5: I can't say they're the nicest client I've ever worked with. Samantha and I were still trying to figure out how I got myself into this mess. For some reason, the client thinks the final deliverable is a much more complex product. I'm sure that's not what we agreed. But like I said, the scope of work document isn't very clear.
6: I remember signing that document for you while you were on the end of a bad telephone line in the Bahamas.
5: Wish I'd stayed there.
6: You also said it would be okay for me to sign it as you'd already seen an earlier draft.
5: Yeah, I have the final version you sign right here. Oh dear. It looks like it has more changes in it than I realised. Looking at the email trail, the client did flag the changes up to us, but I just wasn't paying attention.
2: Oh,
6: Mike.
5: What? I was on a beach. I work hard. You should
6: have run this past the lawyers.
5: I know. But you know how much they cost.
6: Well, it could end up costing us a lot more now. I'm sorry. <sighs> So, we can't really argue that the Project Scope is being extended unreasonably, particularly given that you had hit them with an expensive quote in the first place. They'll be expecting a lot, Mike, and we have to deliver. And all that new IT software means that we've already spent those profits.
5: I know what we have to deliver, but I genuinely don't think I can develop a system that meets their requirements. I need another two months at least. Maybe I could. No, it doesn't matter.
6: You could what, Mike? Right now, I'm open to any idea.
5: Well, I could probably do some surgery on the system as it stands. Get it to a place where it works. More or less. For now. But it'd get less and less acceptable over time. The client might not notice for a while at least. By that time, we'd have been paid, we'd be long gone.
2: And
6: what if they do notice, Mike? There will be serious repercussions. Our reputation would be damaged forever. And what about their customers? Surely we have a moral responsibility to them.
5: I still don't know what to do. Anyone ever tell you what a great listener you are? You're not even listening, are you?
3: Alrighty, um, th- thank thank you for uh, taking the time to watch that. Uh, my immediate reactions to that, I don't know about you. First and foremost, ask your lawyer. Is that right? And uh, failing which, ask your dog. I think uh, we maybe got about thirty seconds to take one or two quick reactions. If you have any, what would you do? Anybody? We want to have a go. Would you proceed? Carry on regardless. I've thrown, thrown it at you at the end of a long day. Um, anybody want to have a, have a shot? Somewhere here. Negotiate an extension, not carry on regardless. Okay, all right. Okay, look, professionalism takes practice. Thank you very much for that, sir. Uh, professionalism takes practice, right? But it can be, can be quite fun. Okay, thank you very much.
0: It was um, pretty good timing, thanks gents. Um, we wanted to have about 10 minutes for questions, especially seeing that there's um, a couple of things that might um, deserve some questions. So this is your opportunity to get back at Ben for daring to ask new questions. And now's the time to ask him some questions. Um, on the the CPD front, I think it's also useful to to position a little bit of the discussions I've heard around it, which is, We're clearly going into a period of um, parallel running but uh, there's a pretty firm intention at the end of the parallel running to try and be on an outcomes-based system. So this means we're quite keen to learn as much as possible over the next while and this is therefore quite a good opportunity to make sure this lands the way you want it at the end of the period of parallel running because the expectation is that the end of the parallel period outcomes-based is... How are we going to be doing it? Um, questions. Ah, so do we have a mic up front here for Joe? Thank you.
6: Um, Mickey, I'm going to try. I'm going to try and do the outcomes-based for you. But that's not the comment. That's just my commitment to you. Uh, um, have, have, when, when you were doing that, I was thinking about the, the work-based skills um, that I'm signing off for people at the moment. And it struck me that that um, that's feels like at the moment it's quite a tick box approach still. And But it feels like this uh, outcomes-based is, is virtually it's very similar. I don't know if you've given any thought, if anybody's given any thought to extending this kind of outcomes-based CPD to be a work-based skills accreditation kind of model. Because it's, it would be nice to kind of have a consistent approach.
0: And let's keep going with the questions and then at least they only have to get up and come here once. More. Is that a hand or is it just... <laughs> cool. More. I'm trying to see the hands. Where's the hand? There we go. Why not?
1: Hi, thanks for the, for the great talks. Um, specifically on the CPD scheme, one of the big issues, how we position ourselves in the market in the industry is the compliance part. How we can be trusted.
3: You know, so, so if on this one we, we talk about a self-assessment, we talk about
1: saying yes I did the following things and you're going to do maybe some spot checks.
0: In the document it specifically said that there was an issue around raising all of these, let's call them developmental areas and making that public.
1: So if we don't make the compliance public and proof of compliance public, can we be trusted?
0: Okay. Do I have one more? There, Pete in the middle. This one is more of a suggestion than a question. Um, a learned colleague of mine had said, after hearing the, uh, the basics of the new system, that he didn't want to see the number of CBD events being offered by the society dropping away. Um, we found those quite useful. Now what, I would lo- what I'm wondering is, is there a way that we can gather all of the developmental needs that people self-identify and feed those into the professional bodies so we can actually try and create the CPD events to meet the needs? Thanks. Okay, if there's, if there's another hand up there, let's do that one as well and then I'll I'll get the questions answered. It looks like um, people are really gunning for you to answer all of them, Mickey. (laughs) Sorry, Mickey, one more for you. (laughs) Um, In previous professionalism conversations, we had also
1: talked about mentorship. And did you consider those informal talk it over with a colleague, rather formalizing it into a, into a mentorship scheme as well. So, where you, you talk about your um, self-assessed development areas over with, with a mentor in a, in a formal way rather than, than having it informal. Thanks very much for those uh, questions, you clearly were, were paying attention. Um, for Joanna, um, yes, there definitely should be a, a link between work-based skills and CPD. I mean, it's all part of, um, you know, what Ben called the, the lifelong learning, the lifelong professional development that starts from the first, when you offer your students intro to actuarial science, uh, right to the old old toppies like me who are sort of only working 50% of the time. Um, and already that, that pro forma uh, page that we developed, we actually pinched the the work that the, the society had done on a work-based skills, particularly to sort of show this, this is the same thing. But what you're saying is, well, actually, we need to go back and revisit some of the work-based skills stuff to bring that's, – that's a very good point. Thank you. Um, the question over here about compliance and can we be trusted, um, a few things. You know, trusted for what? Um, and And – I presented this uh, earlier version of this stuff at the 2014 Congress in Washington. And that was very much the, the response that came from many of the American uh, delegates. Because I, I remember actually, not, not exactly making fun, uh, but I did point it out and I, it, it didn't go down very well. As we went into the conference, there were little little tabs. And certain of the sessions at the conference had been pre ordained as um, acceptable CPD sessions by one of the organizations. So in order to get your CPD, I can't remember if it was the Society of Actuaries or, or the Casualty, you had to pick up one of these pieces, prove that you'd been at that session, not one of the other sessions, the, the, and my session, they didn't, they didn't count as being any relevant, but there were these five or six appointed sessions. If you went to that, irrespective of who you were and what you did, you got your CPD points so that we're not we're not going to be able to prove that but then the question is well is it is it any um, relevance uh, pr- being able to prove that but on a more on a more positive note um, yes the system has been very much designed for the 99.9% of us that want to comply uh, if you're, you're Ben being a lawyer is um, uh, also very interested in the 01 one percent that don't want to comply. Um, and, you know, we're, we're trying to find the balance. And, you know, clearly I think we should be spending more time on the on the good guys than, than the bad guys. Um, but c- there isn't going to be a, a final answer on it. But it's a, a very important issue for us to think about. Uh, the CPD events, well, two issues. I mean, first of all, there shouldn't be any reduction in CPD events because... Um, the reason why we all um, attend sessional meetings or put on sessional programmes isn't, you know, shouldn't be, so that you can tick a CPD box. You know, it's because they they were going to be useful. Um, and the point that you made has already come up in discussion. That yes, we would expect arising from this, there there, there may actually be a, a nice indication to practice areas. You know that these are the, these are the things that people in this practice area actually would like to see uh, more seminars on, so certainly seminars are not bad It's just the theory is well it 's no good just going to the seminar if then you go back to to the office and do nothing about it. I remember I suppose this isn 't quite relevant, but years ago when I worked for a large corporate in Pinelands and I went on a <laughs> I went on a, a a managing management development course as a sort of 28-year-old or something. So then I came back to the office as a keen department head and you know, then tried to manage the staff. And the one lady came late to work, so we sat down and said, well, no, I, no, I, know, I know what to do. And we talked very nicely about getting to work on time. And then she immediately rushed off to the personnel department, said, do you know what he told me? You know, oh, you, I couldn't come late to work. And they said, oh, no, 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 that's terrible. We'll transfer you to another department straight away. Um, anyway, sorry, bit off the top. Uh, John, last question. I think it was John at the back there, um, talking about mentorship. Um, yes, I think I, I, another sort of goal is to produce some sort of guide for that uh, that peer. And of course, we might we might be the peer at another time, you know, because as as those of you who's, who've been mentors know, you you actually can learn quite a lot by by being a mentor. So there's the in the plan. There is certainly scope to. Develop a, um, a, a guide for, for being a, a peer s- a stroke mentor in this process. But that's just one of the many things that we hope will will emerge with your help over the next few years. Thanks.
0: Thanks, Mickey. After that, if someone has another burning question, I'd say raise your hand. Good. Um, <laughs> Cause I didn't really want to open a second round. Um, uh, on the discussion around um, uh, do we find any change in events, I've been thinking about this quite a lot too because it's always been very pleasing when a professional matters topic does get landed with a graveyard shift during a convention to know at least you're going to have a full hall. Um, <laughs> And and that might be one of the things where hopefully in future we're we're wanting to make sure that the content of any professionalism stuff is such that it's clearly directly useful and applicable so that we get decent sized audiences even if it's not just that people feel they haven't got the requisite number of hours on that topic yet. So um, that clearly would be a a step in a good direction too. Um, I want to um, thank our three panellists. It's been... Very entertaining and, and useful listening to you. Unfortunately, I have this um, tricky task now of handing out a gift only to one of them. <laughs> so um, seeing that we've, we've, we've already seen Brexit will we'll reward the one who traveled the furthest to be with us. Ben, small gift for you on behalf of the actual society. And that concludes that session, but unfortunately I was given quite a long announcement. Um, so uh, you're going to have to bear with me while I quickly read. Um, and it's all to do with the cocktail party for tonight. So it's taking place at the lookout on the v waterfront. Attendance required the additional ticket to be purchased. If you did book to attend, you should have found your ticket in your name tag pouch. If it's not there, you've got a problem because without your ticket you will not be admitted and you'll be looking through the window like an urchin. So that doesn't sound very pleasant. The coaches leave from outside the convention center between 6.30 and 6.45, and they'll be on the Walter Sisulu Avenue side. They'll return from the the lookout to the CTICC via the convention hotels, beginning at approximately 10 p.m and the last coach will leave the lookout at 11 p.m. So if you plan to stay late, you may have to make your own arrangements. It's recommended that all guests who travel there use the coaches provided, because clearly that saves money. Um, But if you prefer to take your own car, parking is available at the waterfront for your own account. Um, Please enjoy yourselves this evening, um, but don't drink and drive, which is another good reason to take the coach. Um, Also note that the start tomorrow morning is um, this lovely Johannesburg time of 8 a.m. So for the Capetonians, um, please be here. You will be allowed to wake up after the start. Um, Recommended dress for tonight is semi-formal. So that's the end of the announcement. Um, Thanks for your time.